This is episode number 421 with simulations expert Tienis Barnard. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Hello and welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Super pumped to have you back here on the show. Very exciting episode. Just finished recording with Tienes uh, about 40 minutes ago. Uh, very, very interesting if you are curious about the topic of digital twins. You probably have heard about it. It's uh, a new trendy thing uh, and very powerful thing as well in the space of data and uh, believe it or not, it falls, <laughs> at least in my classification, falls into the space of data science because it uses a lot of data. So Tienes is an expert. Uh, he's a senior engineer and BI manager at Simulation Engineering Technologies in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, he's an expert in simulations and digital twins. In today's episode, you will find out quite a lot of things about this topic and understand what it is so you can have very informed discussions with colleagues, friends, or uh, just around people around. And at the same time, uh, there'll be some advice, some ideas on how you can maybe include this in your career as well. So this podcast will be useful to anybody who's interested in uh, digital twins and simulations and how it all works and how it all happens. So some of the topics we touched on or we discussed uh, today uh, are digital twins, industry 4.0 or the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, you'll hear some mining industry stories and they will put into context why digital twins actually have a place and what happens when they don't exist. Uh, we'll talk about digital twins. Of course, uh, you'll hear about creating systems and created systems. Very interesting insight uh, there. Uh, you will also hear about data science in digital twins and how data science in digital twins is different to data science in machine learning. Uh, then TNS uh, uh, will uh, also help us understand process digital twins versus system digital twins and what the difference between them is. Uh, and at the end, there will be some career advice in case you are considering exploring this space uh, for yourself. So there we go. Very exciting podcast coming up. Lots of uh, cool insights about digital twins and without further ado I bring to you simulations expert Tienes Barnard Welcome back to Super Data Science Podcast everybody super excited to have you back here on the show today we've got a very special guest calling in from South Africa Tienes Barnard Tienes welcome my friend super pumped to have you here thank you cool very very excited to be here yeah, it's just such a random thing. Like when uh, we met at Data Science Go, um, I was so cool. Like, cause I love South Africa. I, I lived in Zimbabwe for a while. So I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Somebody from South Africa called in. Tell us a bit about that. How, how, how did you, that feel for you? Like, uh, you know, just randomly meeting people from all over the world. No, it was, it was amazing. I, I, let me maybe start off when I, when I met you, it was, I couldn't, couldn't believe. I mean, I've always had this this uh, aspiration to be on the podcast show, and uh, and it was a bonus to hear that you're from from Zimbabwe. So that was, uh, you know, originally. Um, so they, to have that in common was great. And um, on on the topic of conferences, we I think I told you we had a conference um, in South Africa, a virtual one, a few weeks ago. So it was it was amazing to see what you guys did with your platform. Uh, and the networking aspect is amazing, um, just to meet people from all over the world. And uh, we're lucky to to have gotten that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who, uh, can you give us some examples of like, who, who did you meet uh, from, from which countries or what, what professions? Sure. So uh, I met um, a, a guy who's in, in Canada um, in the same industry as what we're in. So we, uh, that would be more in the civil environment. 
um, doing very similar things to what we're doing. Um, at the same time, not really a competitor. So it was just great to exchange details. Met a student from China, um, busy with his PhD. And I think he really enjoyed it because, uh, you know, he's obviously at home for, for seven or eight months now with COVID uh, studying. So it's just probably nice for him to also meet people. Um, and just to see what, what kind of talent is out there is amazing. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. And you've uh, listened to, as I understand, quite a few podcast episodes or sh episodes on this show. How does it feel to be on the show yourself now? No, it's, uh, I'm, I still have to pinch myself to, I, I told my <laughs> wife about it. <laughs> I think at first she didn't believe me, but, um, I'm here and it's, it's amazing. I'm really looking forward to connecting to people and, um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, topic for today. So everybody knows is digital twins. I'm super excited to dive in. And I was like, when, when you said on at data science go like you you're in digi you're in that uh, space of digital twins and that's what you do it's like oh i gotta get him on the podcast because we only had like one guest before speaking about this and it's a really burning topic um but before we dive into it uh a bit about uh, south africa uh, like i uh, as as we kind of like briefly mentioned before the episode i <laughs> i think it's a great country uh when we lived in zimbabwe I, we did trips to south africa like you know, weekend or maybe like maybe a five day trip. Um, fantastic. My play, my favorite place is Sun City. It's a wonderful city. Yeah, of course, Cape Town. Great place, yeah. How, how's uh, how's uh, the situation in South Africa? And more importantly, how is uh, data science in South Africa these days? Yeah, so um, I, I, for, for those who don't know much about South Africa, we've got a, a very checkered history. Um, lots of political shifts over the past decade or two. And um, that's made it an interesting mix of cultures in South Africa. Um, what, what that's meant is that there's been a lot of progress on the human aspects in terms of our, uh, we've got a, a, I think, rated one of the best constitutions in the world. And, um, and you know, uh, freedom uh, for people is, is extremely important. At the same time, there's been quite, uh, we call it a bit of the brain drain, um, lots of people leaving overseas which is not really such a big issue if you take into consideration we could do a lot of work remotely nowadays. But I think um, we, we're definitely seeing a gap between, um, you know, uh, wage incomes. And obviously, you've, you've got the challenge of trying to address social, political, economic issues. And I think data science is, is a, a really powerful tool for that in our country. So um, a unique place to be applying it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's uh, um, like wor the world's moving forward and we're seeing quite a lot about ethics and equality in the space of data science, like a lot of discussions in that space. So this is a great time to, um, you know, for all countries to implement these things. And uh, definitely, I think um, South Africa uh, could benefit from a lot of a lot of um the developments in this space yep no definitely um and uh yeah i think we we definitely able with technology nowadays to to get people educated and up to speed within the country so the, the main thing is just enabling people through you know learning new skills there's so much out there they could really um they just need to know which platforms to reach out to gotcha which city are you in by the way I'm in um, uh, Pretoria, sort of mid midway between Johannesburg and Pretoria, the capital. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, in the heart, in the heart of the busy business <laughs> center of South Africa. Okay. Okay. Question. Cool. Um, all right. Well, yeah, South Africa, and I like what you mentioned that uh, a lot of things can actually be done virtually. This uh, this is an interesting time that, especially with this coronavirus, that more and more people are going to recognize that and you know, maybe people in different countries are going to be like, oh, if you're in the U.S., you're, you know, helping the U.S. economy all the time and so on. Or in, in you know, in, in uh, UK, you're always like you have the opportunities. And so, like, as you say, uh, there's a big landscape for data science in um, South Africa uh, because I guess it's not as competitive as like the Silicon Valley and maybe people will be able to help or or contribute to uh, some projects 
Yeah, That'd be cool. Yeah, no, definitely. That's that's um, I think one of our aims is to to reach out and and get uh, get as much work done for overseas companies to keep us competitive, mm-hmm. um, and at the same time use the skills we we learn to you know train new younger and younger generation within the country. Nice. That's very cool. Hope you're enjoying this amazing episode. We'll get back to it after this quick short announcement. And the quick short announcement is that we have Data Science Go Connect. Uh, you've probably already heard of Data Science Go, which is the conference we run in California. You've probably also heard of Data Science Go Virtual, the virtual conference we run several times per year. And in order to help our community stay connected throughout the year, uh, we started running these uh, events, virtual events, which happen every single month. So you can find them at datasciencego.com connect. They're absolutely free. Uh, you can sign up at any time. And then once a month, we run an event where uh, you will uh, get uh, to hear from a speaker. There'll be panel dis- or a panel discussion, uh, maybe an industry expert Q&A. Uh, but very importantly, there's also uh, speed networking sessions where you can meet like-minded data scientists from around the world. This is a great way to stay up to date with industry trends, hear from amazing speakers, and also meet peers and uh, exchange details and stay in touch with the community. So once again, uh, these events run monthly uh, and you can sign up at datasciencego.com connect. We'd love to see you there. Well, on that uh, note, let's move on to uh, your work. So uh, you work in the very interesting space of uh, digital twins uh, or simulations. Uh, the company is called Simulation Engineering Technologies or SET, and it's part of a group called Foresight. So quick uh, uh, rundown, like tell us a bit about the companies, like the structure or the main the main mission objectives, um, just a bit to know what, what uh, it's all about. Yeah, sure. So the company currently consists of about five uh, subgroups, subsidiaries. Um, these joined together, uh, and it's uh, roughly about five years ago, but each of the companies themselves have a good 20 plus years experience in their respective fields. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was about four years ago, they, they listed on the Johannesburg Stock, Stock Exchange. Um, mm-hmm. Big moment for, for us. Yeah. And I'll be honest, the, thanks. Uh, the past few years have been uh, uh, quite exciting. It hasn't come without its own challenges, um, you know, uh, board changes. And uh, a new new management, uh, internal management um, coming in, and uh, ever since then we've seen uh, a, a lot more steady growth. And I think what makes it so exciting is that um, it's it's such a new new field, not just digital twins, but um, I'm going to throw a buzzword in here, but the industry 4.0. Um, so this group of companies, obviously, I'm with a simulation group. But we, we all have various different uh, domains of expertise. So we've got software development, we've got uh, telecoms, we've, uh, we've got uh, advanced process control. Um, and then uh, the simulation modeling is fitting at more of a strategic level within businesses. So we cover from low level, um, we call it devices and hardware, to mm-hmm. very high level strategic kind of work, which makes it very exciting. Wow, fantastic. Um, uh, so that's your division covering uh, the low-level insights and the strategic. Uh, so we actually do more the high-level. Um, so high we'll level. get into the digital twins. Uh, yeah. And basically what, uh, what that means is that our simulation models get hooked onto uh, the actual live uh, company or organization systems w- mm-hmm. to make them digital twins. And then, then you get access to all the low-level data from, oh, okay. from various devices. Cool. Okay. So uh, you mentioned uh, the buzzword uh, industry 4.0. What does that mean? Right. So as, as far as I understand it, I mean, these things always um, get a few uh, tales put on, on the stories, but uh, the German government decided a, a number of years ago to, to come up with this term industry 4.0 um, to incentivize the integration of of automation and, and digital systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first in, first industrial revolution was your your steam steam train steam engines. Second, mm-hmm. your uh, elect, electrical systems, mm-hmm. and then the third would have been um, let's say the the creation of the computers, the internet, uh, mm-hmm. telecoms. So the fourth industrial revolution looks at integrating all of that 
and uh, just sharing data between any platform and optimizing your industrial systems. Mm-hmm. So very much your, um, yeah, your future view of where technology is going. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So how how far uh, are we into the in, uh, fourth industrial revolution? So I think um, it's we're very new in it. Um, obviously, certain countries are way ahead of others, and I think South Africa is probably lagging quite a bit. And then at the same time, you've got industries that are ahead and others that are lagging. So mining and manufacturing, the two industries we, we've largely focused on are definitely laggards in, in that sense because mm-hmm. you still have a big component of the human element in there. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, let's say, entertainment, uh, telecoms are probably further ahead because, you know, there's so much more you could automate and, and put online these days. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the futures, uh, we're going to see that that curve of uh, maturity is going to keep on accelerating for the next five mm-hmm. years. Um, yep. So I think fairly early. <laughs> yeah, man, it's interesting. Like with this mining industry, uh, I got a really cool example of how, like what you said, that some, some, in, some case, in many cases, they're lagging behind. In some cases, it's surprising how far ahead. Like there's in uh, Western Australia, there's this uh, Rio Tinto mine of the future. And they started, I think, in 2008 or something like that, like ages ago. And they have these automated trucks, a fleet of 200 trucks that rock up. And then the excavator puts the the soil and stuff in the truck. The truck goes and it's all like 200 trucks are run by like, I don't know, a team of 15 data scientists, a, you know, uh, people, logistics people sitting somewhere remotely. Um, so somewhere ahead, but then some mines, it's like every single mine is like its own little story, as opposed to telecoms, which are like competing fiercely for you know attention. Mines have their own, um, as I understand, they have their, their own deposits of minerals and whatever else, and they need to work on them as long as they can get them out at a price that's, or like at a cost that's lower than the market price. It's a commodity, right? You can sell as much of it as you want. Uh, they're, they're making profit. So they're not really bothered in many cases about these things and so the story i have is uh like i i know this from uh from a friend and uh um like i won't disclose the name of friend or the the company the mining company but basically at one mining company like what are they they're like i think like separating um they like they get this ore and they need to crush it down into little things before they put it through a chemical process to extract like you know what gold or whatever it is silver platinum uh, so the way they crush it is they put it into like a big kind of like big spinning thing that uh, like a like a like a what's it called uh, oh like a washing machine right like a big washing machine right and so it's huge you know like I think three stories high like something thirty meters or no twenty meters or so and um, yep. it's got like big metal balls in there and so like they, as it goes these metal balls fall and they fall down and they hit the the ore. And they crush it. And so it's like spinning and the ore is falling and crushing it. And um, so you can imagine like a washing machine, 20 meters high with metal balls inside. Then you chuck in the ore, they fall down, crush it. The question is like, how fast do you spin it, right? So do you, sp- you spin it too fast, then the metal balls will go up too high and they won't be falling at the optimal angle and you'll be wasting electricity, which is a ton of electricity, uh, you know, for inefficiency. If you spin it too slow, the metal balls won't have enough velocity when they hit the ore and they won't be crushing it as effective. So there's like an optimal speed. And so my, my friend tells me this story. is like the way they find the optimal speed. I, you're probably going to laugh, laugh me out of the room here. He's like the way they find the optimal speed. And this is like a mine offshore, you know, like some, uh, some island somewhere or, you know, some country where you get expats, people with a lot of experience in this specific thing. They come and they, they walk around like they... They are very important indeed, but they don't want to really share their knowledge because that's their their um, you know their secret their secret source. So what they do is like this guy yeah. has been doing this for twenty years. He comes up to this uh, machine, and they all have to wear earphones, you know, to protect them and so. On. So he comes up to this machine and like uh, to the wall of it, not the spinning wall, but the outer wall, and he takes his earphone ear, ear thing off, puts his ear to it, and like listens to how many hits you know he hears, how many metal balls he hears per minute. And then from that, he's like, yeah, we need to speed it up or we need to slow it down. Like, boom, like how ridiculous <laughs> is that, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that sounds very familiar. And um, I, I don't know, this is probably, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably quite a relatively advanced mind. Um, um, I don't but, know much uh, about it. 
but yeah. <laughs> no, we, we had all those stories, uh, you know, of rudimentary ways of people doing things all the time. So I think uh, the mining, um, when you're on site, it's an engineer's playground because mm. there's, it sounds simple, the processes, you know, there's, there's a, a one commodity flowing on a conveyor, uh, goes through a crusher, the plant, and then out the other side. But there's so many cool little inventions along the way of the way people have done things. So um, I, I, li- I like the mining industry. They've got a, a chute where you've got the ore, and they've got a big, I think it's like a 20-story building. Um, so the ore on the final step goes all the way up to this top of this building. And the way they get the diamonds out of it is this, this ore falls all the way through the building and they've got a little laser, so there's the tech park, um, that shines a light. And when it picks up a reflection on this ore falling, then it knows, okay, there's a diamond. And then it wow. actually shoots a little, it shoots a little bit of uh, like a jet, a jet stream of air yeah. and pushes, pushes that ore into another bucket. And that's, that's how they, they get the diamonds out at the end. So that's crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. That's cool. That's cool. Like so, so some things are like that. That's cool automation, right? And there, there's, uh, I forgot the company that does that, but there's, there's some companies that do that for mining companies. But th- some things are well automated and well like designed. But some things are like so prehistoric, and I can see what you mean. Like they're they're lagging. You need the whole system to be uh, updated and to be using AI to its full potential. To be like if you have a few links in the chain that are not automated to that extent, like you you there's room for improvement yeah yeah i'm not sure um and and what we we try and do is we we try and integrate the first step is is digital transformation get get all the systems digitized uh automated as far as possible doesn't mean remove the human element it just means automate it uh, a part of it once you've digitized you can analyze we call it digitize analyze optimize so um you know, understand what's going on in the bigger system. And then when you get to the optimized step, that's where the, the simulation comes in. So what's what's great about the simulation is we take all the data typically sit in the office offsite, build the model of the entire system. It could be a couple of mines actually put together. Mm-hmm. And then we understand where's the biggest constraint within the system. And that's where we focus on. So, um, yeah, it's nice to combine sort of the high level, low level view. Awesome. And, and okay. then you, you, yeah, you also take into consideration the human element. Very cool. Uh, so let's talk about digital twins then. What's what's the definition of digital twins? And as I told you, I did some homework, so I watched some videos. So I also have a definition prepared, one by IBM actually. So we can compare and uh, let's talk about the topic. What are digital twins? Yeah. So I've I've actually decided to um, uh, when when people ask me that question, I stay away from pure definitions, because yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that these things are, are to a degree constantly involving the same with the term uh, data science to a degree. And I, I mean, you you probably know way more than me on the topic. Um, but, you know, as, as technology is evolving, you know, these these things are just growing and, and to even understand all of this in your mind becomes quite complex. But um, our definition of a digital twin is when you have a, a model that represents the, um, the real life system, um, you, you've now abstracted that, the, that system onto a model. And the model is never exactly perfect. It can never be exactly the same as a real thing. Um, that's a whole philosophy on its own. But uh, once you now integrate that model with your life system, um, in, in other words, you are getting data uh, directly fed from, from the system in real time. And real time is also a very relative term. You could have something running for real time one second or every 10 seconds or 10 hours, whatever. But for, for the in- industry and environment you're in, once that data is fed real time, then in our, in our terms, you end up with a digital twin representative of that. And it's, it's across the lifecycle system. So you you actually start building a model before the system is is uh, implemented. So in design phase, and that model lives on all the way through to decommissioned phase at the end. Okay. Okay. Very <laughs> cool. Definition. Yeah. No, that's very cool. So uh, as I understand, there's a very good important clarification you made there that it has to be updated live with data. So you can't just like 
build a digital twin like of an airplane and then just okay now there's this airplane and then there's this digital twin and like that's it they're separate like you have to whenever you can update the data yes yes and i think that's also we we use the term loosely because obviously it's um it's a growing field and and people like to hear that you're doing digital twins but i think uh, what we often try we try and explain that to our clients um because we we're not i think in any specific industry we have that perfect digital twin yet. You're always going to have some aspect of it that might be left out or might be at a strategic level. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, the, the ABM definition is pretty much the same. So, we're going to go through that. Um, but another thing you pointed out, they also, in this video I watched on YouTube, they also point out that they, a digital twin is, uh, um, has like, helps with three phases. It helps with the design phase, the build phase of the whatever it is you're building and the operation phase. So like I used to think that, oh, it's only just for the operations part, but actually it's it's for all three. So, so you even create the digital twin even before. How does that work? Like, do you create the digital twin before the design phase or do you create the digital twin uh, like to, to inform the design phase? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So I think uh, probably the I always like to break problems down to something like a toy problem, something small. Um, so easy way to understand this is when you're building a house, um, you might you might start a sketch on a piece of paper. So that that's already getting the creative process going. But then you start putting that into a CAD program on a computer. So then you already got a digitized model going. Um, and then obviously as you start building this house. Um, you know, the, the model might even be refined and to a degree the model's living alongside. So that's, I think, how, how you could see it informing the design. Um, and I've, I'm actually working on an interesting um, project at the moment where there, there's an existing plant. Um, it's for manufacturing industry. And uh, we, the, the plant exists, so we've got a good idea of what kind of model to build, but they want to do a new plant, mm -hmm. um, Greenfields. So now we're using our model to inform the design. Once the design's done, they obviously go into building it and operating it, and our model lives alongside that. But then they want to do expansion. So then once again, we, we're informing on a design level. So that this is sort of an iterative process between mm -hmm. design and execution and operation. Mm -hmm. And digital twins can be used uh, at like all sorts of scales, right? Like it can be at the scale of a plant. It can be at the scale of one machine. Um, it can be at the scale of like even a human, right? You could have a digital twin of, of an organ of your heart or something like that and feed data to it from your, uh, I don't know, like you might have like a heart implant or from your Apple Watch or something like that and, and just observe like how that changes and get informed. Like tell us a bit about that. What, what are some of the common or most exciting use cases of digital twins out there? Yeah. So uh, I think you hit it spot on. Um, I mean, if you if you look at uh, social networking, so I'm obviously talking about platforms like your LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, in essence, those are starting to create uh, digital twins of of people. And I mean, obviously, it's up to the company uh, how ethically they use it. So I won't get into that debate. But um, someone is the uh, movie for that, right? The social dilemma. Have you seen it? Yes, that's exactly yeah. the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I think they they, they they bring it out in the um in the way that they portray this this person um, yeah. making decisions for him. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, so very absolutely. interesting. Good 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 watch. Good movie to watch. And then delete your social Excellent. media accounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, uh, some I was working for uh, aerospace company, and I think that's probably the most I I learned. From, uh, from that industry on technology and um, digital twins actually to a degree because the, the aerospace defense environment, I think there's a lot of history of it going, obviously going back to World War II. So they actually worked out a lot of things on pen and paper, which we are using in our systems today. And I think, you know, for someone that hasn't been in that environment, that, that history just gets lost. But this, uh, this one, one guy I was working for, he said, uh, you get a creating system and you get a a making system. So there's a, a system that's uh, what it, he referred it to as um, 
the made system and the create and the creating system. So, uh, for example, in a mine, you would have a plant, um, and the mine itself would be the creating system, and the ore would be the. It, it sounds weird to say it, but a created system. The same goes for, uh, let's say, uh, aerospace. Well, building airplanes, you've got the creating system, your manufacturing plant, and the created system is your airplane. So um, it goes it goes a lot more beyond just a certain product, um, and that kind of opens your mind to thinking about any industry um, in a new way. So the interesting question is with social. Uh, social platforms, use the creating system and use the created system. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah. so, so like, that's very interesting. So you have the creating system and you have the created system, right? So as you said, in, in planes, you have the factory is your creating system. The plane is your created system. But did you say that in, in mining, it's the other way around? Like the ore is your creating system and the mining plant is actually the created system. It's it, no, it's it's the same in in mining. I think that the, yeah, the difference is that your created system is a very I don't want to say less complex system, but it's not um, it's not an interactive system. You've got all that comes out at the end, but oh, um, it's not you know, an system, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the 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 plant is the creating system. The ore coming out of the end is created system. And so the question in the social dilemma, right? Like, what what is uh, What's the like creating and what's the created, right? Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, I, th I suppose at the end of the day, I mean, social dilemma talks about us as being the product. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I don't have a particular view about it. I think it doesn't help to, to think too um, negatively about these kind of things. But if you've got a digital twin, the closer that comes to representing a human being, um, once once that um, platform starts uh, providing insights to the human being on on the decisions it should make instead yeah. of the other way around, then you've got an interesting situation. But just yeah. to get back to um, the mining versus the manufacturing example, I think what what opened my eyes there as well is that you know you've got these industries that look to a degree vastly different, but reviewing the the manufacturing plant as a creating system um, and taking what one learns there in terms of data science you could take that and apply that to an industry such as mining um, if you understand that now all of a sudden your created system is not so complex it might be higher volumes um, but you could still use the same uh, let's say algorithms and and uh, knowledge there just in a different way okay so it's transferable knowledge. Yep. Hmm, that's really cool. Uh, how is data science in uh, digital twins different to data science in machine learning? Yeah. So I think um, for, for us, where we do a lot of simulation work before they go into mm -hmm. digital twins, um, there's a abstraction of of the real world data, we might get info from spreadsheets. And we the models we built on built on a lot of assumptions and, and we calibrate these models to make sure they represent the, the real life system. But given these assumptions, you know, you you kind of do these long, longer periods of studies on your own. Whereas with machine learning AI applied to a real world system, uh, hooked, you know, directly working on the live, live data. Um, it's an interesting dynamic. You get feedback a lot quicker and you actually see um, the results of your efforts a lot quicker. You know, if I, if I change this lever on a conveyor belt or specify a certain um, algorithm for uh, processing the ore in a certain way, uh, a week later, you'll already see the results of that. Whereas with strategic modeling, um, yeah, you, you typically would give a report and a lot of that is based on assumptions and there would be interpretation. So there's, there's quite a bit of a difference. Um, mm -hmm. And we use more heuristic algorithms, whereas AI is not so relevant in the simulation modeling. Mm -hmm. Okay. Heuristic, you mean like, as opposed to like, if else algorithms, as opposed to brute force, just process all the data algorithms. Yeah. Yes. Why is that? Correct. Oh, so why is uh why do why you do use, use why do you use heuristics right like it's it, 
uh, heuristics like for instance if we look at um uh what's it called um the, the game of go right versus chess like deep blue back in the 1998 whatever beat kasparov based on heuristics right like if else lots of scenarios picking in the right one and so on whereas uh AlphaGo or now AlphaGo Zero uh, is just brute forcing its way through uh, with deep learning algorithms and uh, not going through all the possible combinations because that's impossible, but it's actually like uh, just learning on the go. So why in the digital twin space do you still use heuristics rather than allowing AI uh, using something like deep learning and allowing AI to learn on its own? Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. It's actually got quite a lot of context to it. So I think the first thing I, I left out up front is that our models are um, largely our digital twins. You get mm -hmm. different types. Ours is uh, processed digital twins. So you would have digital twins of a physical system. So the airplane, again, is a good example. You're doing uh, fluid dynamics, uh, um, you know, uh, CFDs and uh, all sorts of other calculations around the engine of, a, of an airplane. So that's not what we do. We do process digital twins. We look, it's actually something you can't always see. Um, mm -hmm. So we model the process and then we, you know, come up with answers to how to optimize that system. Um, so that's the, that's the first distinction, which means that um, our models, the simulation models we build are not uh, purely data driven, but they're not, we actually build a physical layout of a site. Um, and the heuristics come in where you've got, let's say, um, someone, a truck has to drive from one side of a plant to another. They've got three different routes they could take. Which one should they take? So you don't really, you obviously AI would help you there. Um, but, you know, for the sake of the type of projects we work on, coming up with a heuristic to say, you know, choose, choose a path with a, the least traffic on. Uh, those those kind of rules makes it a lot easier and it's more transferable to the actual operation because oh, you okay. might not have trucks working with that AI. But then we do have the, the simulation per definition runs brute force, lots of scenarios to test what which would be the best outcome. Gotcha, gotcha. So the way I understand with the heuristics is that you have certain constraints that exist in the real world and you just have to adhere to them. So you got to code them in as heuristics. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. Uh, you said simulations. What kind of simulation algorithms do you use? Right. So we uh, we rely on uh, software, proprietary software that we use to build our models. Um, the one package we use is Simio. So we're agnostic to different tools, but we found this this package to work really well, and that allows us to to build almost any kind of physical um, environment where you where you have to hook your process model onto some physical layout. So the truck, trucks is a good example there. Um, you'd struggle to do that maybe in a MATLAB where you can't physically see the trucks move and understand what the dynamics are. Um, and then we, we hook that model onto an interface like, uh, let's say, Power BI or Tableau. And um, that gives us that capability for a client to obviously publish the dashboard to, um, you know, everyone in the organization or just as a, as a as a presentation, um, and it also makes the the whole process of of doing a study a lot quicker. And then, if we need to, we start um, using something like Python or or R. If we need to do really difficult calculations, typically upfront before we do the model, um, and then also if we, that can help us to do the visualization aspects as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's a fairly it's a nice it's a narrow but nice tool set to work with. Okay, gotcha. Um, what does your day-to-day -day look like? Right, so <laughs> I typically, um, uh, we, the environment I work in is a very flexible environment. Um, you know, we, what I like about the work we do is we work independently uh, together in, in groups on projects, but very independently. So your deliverables, um, you know, are directly attributed attributed to your work, which means I, I could work remotely, um, you know, anywhere if I wanted to, uh, or go into the office. And um, we've got a very collaborative environment. So um, each day is is kind of uh, has its own way of panning out. But obviously, there's a lot of planning that goes into it upfront. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so do you like, for instance, if you're on a project, do you do the whole end to end or do you do a specific part of the, the digital twin project? Yeah, so because these, uh, let's take mining um, as an example, these, uh, because these mines uh, have such a long life cycle, I mean, some mines you easily get up to uh, 50 year life of mine. So you might come in, this mine might be 30 years old and you you jump in and build a model that has to model the operations. So no, no design influence there. Um, mm. On other projects, you might be in conceptual phase um, mm-hmm. which has a very dynam- different dynamic on its own. And then you've got the manufacturing projects, which are typically shorter term. So the example I gave where we're starting off, you know, right at inception, and if all goes well, we'll continue with that for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but like in your specific day, you, you, you know, like how some, some companies, they pigeonhole you into one like specific, uh, okay, you're always going to be writing uh, Python code for this specific thing. Uh, do you get the opportunity to work across um, different tools and different um, challenges within a, an individual project, or, or do, you, are you, do you specialize in something? Yes, yeah, so I, I think I had to make the call um, a couple of years ago whether I was going to go highly specialized or diversify, maybe even management. And I, I just found that I, I like both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um, I, I moved from a, a corporate uh, company to the company I'm where at it now is uh, is small within the larger group, which gives us a lot of autonomy. And I've had the opportunity in the past two years to work on, um, just to give you an example, I've done these simulation modules, which is actually a highly specialized kind of work. And I mean, we've got many guys going, doing masters, PhD. Um, and at the same time, I've been able to do uh, be a project manager of a digital transformation project for mine, looking at every single department um, and, uh, you know, coordinating a team of 30 or 40 people. So it's, it's really, it's been great to get the diversity, but I think um, at some point one has to make that call, which uh, I wouldn't say which specialization you're going to go into, but for long-term you want to keep building on the same thing. Um, Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I have an interesting uh, thing that we could do is like if you maybe a few more. We've already given a few examples of digital twin projects. Maybe we can do a few more. Like I have one. I'll start first. I have one that I found online um, where digital twins. Like just to give our audience a like a feel for oh okay what else can be digital twins be used for. So one I found really cool is like if you have a, a like a big uh, manufacturing plant and you have a robot, so like basically a machine that needs to cut uh, like as in a straight line or like cut certain, uh, like I don't know, let's say a, a piece of a car, right? Like a door, it needs to cut the, the metal in a certain shape. Um, that's really cool and they're very accurate. But because it's such a big manufacturing plant, there might be other things going on, um, like vibrations coming from like some big device hitting something or like doing some testing or something. So unless you have the luxury of having a huge space and you know everything isolated, great. But what if you're you're building this in a, a smaller, confined space? Like if there's some certain vibrations, they can impact this machine. So in this case, you would build a digital twin. This is the part that was very impressive to me. You build a digital twin, not of just that robot that's cutting you build a digital twin of the whole system right of the whole um manufacturing plant and then you know exactly when these vibrations are happening which way they're going and so on what's producing them so you can then you can feed that information to the robot real time and it can adjust by millimeters its cutting uh, trajectory to take those vibrations to account so you don't have to stop it and wait for the vibrations to go away you can actually use that while it's working how cool is that that's that's amazing so um my mind's already going to that systems view where now you've got a a um you know your created system might be your your part your car part that that plant's yeah. producing your creating system is your plant but now you've got another third system around that interacting with with both these two systems so it just it blows your mind when you think of all the different um scenarios so yeah i mean that's that's a brilliant example 
And I think what people underestimate is, you know, you, you look at a, a plant, um, manufacturing plant, and you think, oh, well, I mean, there's complexity, there's the robots, um, but from a process perspective, that could be incredibly complex to understand and optimize that, as well as the part that's being produced. Yeah. Um, and so you've got digital twins of all these things popping up everywhere. Hmm. Gotcha. Do you have a cool, like, mind-blowing example? Of a uh, digital twin in manufacturing? Or in anything, really. Well, I, th- I think... What's your um, favorite? I, I really uh, envy anyone that builds digital twins in, uh, in the aerospace field. I think that's, that's on another level. I mean, um, you, the, the platforms that are being created, first of all, on the manufacturing side, you know, to, to model the flow of how these parts get put together, having the right components ready at the right time. Then that engine is built, and now your designer... Who, who designed this engine as his model, and that thing gets put in a plane. And, um, you know, the, the, he couldn't have seen up front exactly on that engine part how that would, uh, you know, what forces would uh, eventually end up interacting on that engine once it's up in there. I mean, obviously he models it, and he's got all the experience and insight that goes into that. But only once that thing is up in the air, and let's say something goes wrong, then um, he might get the opportunity to get that engine back, download the data, um, you know, obviously stored on, on that platform, and then in- see what happened between the model and the engine, what, what exactly happened there. So I've, I've got another example um, from the defense industry we worked in where we, we built parts that um, actually detect if, you know, you were being fired at from a long range. Uh, and this part had to pick up the direction, the azimuth, and um, the the heading at which this, let's call it now, missile is coming in at. So just by the way, all the work we did was was defense, not uh, mm-hmm. not um, attacking, defense. but <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so so now you've got this this model of how this part should be working to pick up, you know, all these things firing at it. But now you put it on a helicopter. And now you've got a whole new dynamic because this helicopter is moving, uh, their weather conditions. So how, how do you build a thing like that without being able to test it? You can't just go quickly outside, put it on a couple of million dollars worth of, uh, you know, um, aerospace equipment and, or, or um, aviation equipment and see what would happen. You kind of have to wait for, for that part to be put on a platform. A year later, it actually gets, gets into um, the field. So, um, I mean, the, the amount of, of skill you have to have to get something like that to work properly is, is truly amazing. Mm, and then you wait until it needs to get shot at and then, <laughs> and then, exactly. and then only you can test it out. That's crazy. Um, cool, cool. Uh, what's, what's the future of um, digital twins and where, where are we heading to? Is like everything going to have a digital twin? Is like my chair going to have a digital twin? Like... How, how does it look like? Yes, I think um, uh, hopefully the human race will be, uh, oh, I'm sure the human race will be clever enough not to apply to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are just th- certain things that it becomes overkill. Um, I've, I've actually decided to go with a, a relatively cheap Casio watch because I, I just want to know the time. I don't have to have notifications come up on my phone the whole time. <laughs> But um, I think it's inevitable that we are going to have, we're going to see uh, integration of or digitization on, on almost every single platform you can think of. So I think, I, I just hope that we, we stay um, in control of the technology and, and it doesn't uh, become a master of us. Um, and I think if, if we can do that, um, you know, the, the future outlook looks great. Um, so yeah, <laughs> how soon will we have, um, you know, our day-to-day lives impacted? It's really cool to hear about stories from manufacturing and mining and you know other other industries. But how soon will we notice an impact in our day-to-day lives by digital twin from digital twins? Yes, yeah, so I think um, 
the 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 people in in control of the digital twins um i would definitely say can already in industry see the power of it and uh, it's making their lives a lot easier unfortunately if you're at the receiving end of that um in in terms of you know losing the control of the the digital twins where it might be replacing your job um then then obviously you're not even going to really know about it um on a personal level i think we we definitely seeing it with social media uh, the impact um mm. of of digital twins in our lives which is negative <laughs> is there any positive examples <laughs> so yeah i think there there definitely positive examples uh, the past few months with covid where we've haven't been able to be in contact with family and friends i mean the technology's been amazing to help connect people and then um we've also i've got many friends overseas and it's great to keep in in contact you know you you don't always have the time especially with a family you don't have the time to uh call someone or arrange a call so just to see that they're doing okay um you know they're loving life um i think that's that's great you mean like social media social media yeah instagram yeah. uh facebook whichever it is but what about digital twins do you have an example of uh, digital twins impacting or maybe soon impacting our day-to-day lives in a positive way well i think um i i'm really excited about um the the resurrection of the space race <laughs> mm. so i think uh, digital twins are going to be invaluable in in exploring space um whether it's going to new planets or sending sending equipment up to do exploration so um I think I think that's brilliant. Um, okay. I can't think of a more noble more noble cause for digital twins than that. <laughs> okay, gotcha. All right. Um I I've I've got an example uh also a bit more down to earth example. Um for instance, uh what's it called? Digital twins. Oh yeah, IBM uses digital twins to uh control like the to analyze the comfort levels in their offices and and how people navigate through um you know like what paths they take to walk and then like they restructure the the layout of the office to uh, using that information that's uh, i think another way that maybe people working in offices will see maybe maybe we'll have that for homes you know maybe things like what's it called nest right that controls your temperature in your home maybe once that is integrated with a digital twin of your home it can uh, even better do its job yes yes no definitely and i that you just triggered a, another thought of mine is that we we also do digital twins in the transportation industry so a lot for rail networks um and uh, i've actually heard it was a couple of years we were visiting australia they um the australia uh, what do you call it public transport is is really excellent um i, I was i was amazed by what what you've got going there but um the way that they're using data to optimize uh transport uh traffic so apparently i don't know if this is this must be in, in implemented by now but um you know to regulate the traffic lights based on yeah. the congestion um oh okay i mean that, yeah that's that's brilliant <laughs> that's a really cool so that would be a digital twin as well right yes yeah yeah you'd have you can't, you can't get away with Sorry, you can't get away with just like okay, this one road will put a sensor or like a, even machine learning algorithm, and so on. you need like the whole system. You need to know okay, if we put a green light here, what will happen three roads down? What will happen on this block? Or no, there's like a fire truck coming here. You know, we need like the whole thing working together. Yep. Yeah, and obviously you'd need some kind of AI there because just to come up with basic uh, rules or even do mass uh, simulations to understand that flow. You, you're not going to get it in time so you need you need a system that can make take a vast amount of inputs lots of massive data and make those decisions very quickly yeah and learn yeah, from you, as it goes on you raise a good point uh, uh, digital twins are um like a big thing with <laughs> it's like funny i thought of it for i thought for like 3 seconds the best word i could come up with thing <laughs> so funny a big <laughs> thing anyway is there a big deal for uh, yeah for cities right like i heard uh, san diego for instance in the us they they're working with some 
uh, and somebody was on the podcast. I, I just don't remember the episode number um, or the the exact who the guest was, but somebody was talking about how they're working with City of San Diego to build a digital twin of a, like a lot of things that are going on from infrastructure to like you know pipes and electricity and so on to, to roads and networks and so on to optimize to allow the city to operate efficiently because like we're growing, you know, populations are growing, right? Like all, we always have like LA, for instance, is stuck in traffic like a lot of the time. And a lot of cities are facing these problems. And yet there are times when, you know, there's no cars on the roads, you know, like in the middle of the night, you know, why, why not do road works there? Or, you know, whatever else. But cities have so much data, so much going on. They're like drowning. A lot of them are drowning in all this. And humans are not capable of, even teams of humans are not capable of just like sitting down. Okay, let's make these decisions. So and, and then test it out, you know, like roll it out. Let's see what happens in the next month in our city. You know, like with a digital twin, like the benefit is you can simulate stuff and you can like roll it, roll out these different scenarios and see what happens before you actually implement them in the real world and suffer the consequences. Yes, that's that's actually a field that I'm so interested in. It's, I think we just um, in South Africa, we, we're not mature yet for that, but in terms of infrastructure, but um, my I come from a family of architects and so buildings and um, design of buildings really interests me. And the, the big movement in that is now, uh, they call it BIM. So I think there's a, a term called BIM 360, Building Information Modeling. And um, that basically means that exactly the same digital twin concept you're applying to buildings. So you've got your, your model, um, you know, construct your building, but then you actually end up with sensors in your building. So you're getting temperature information, vibration information, electric, electrical information, all of that getting fed into a model. And, you know, you could optimize whatever you wanted there. Um, and, and obviously the possibilities are very big. But now apply that to a city. Um, and I think you've got some really good uh, or powerful capability to, you know, um, take, take a city and just make it better in whichever ever aspect you look. Um, mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, getting better use of electricity, optimizing traffic flow um yeah even social you know, social aspects of where people meet and and move around yeah and you got a lot of sensors right you got like a lot of uh you could have a sensor on every corner on every video or on every on every window um like that's that's so much information coming in yep um okay uh, what, what's your advice for a somebody who's starting into the space of data science or maybe transitioning from like a, some other background into data science, what's your advice for them to, if they're interested in exploring the space of uh, digital twins and simulation more, and like they want to direct their career, maybe direct their career path in that direction? Like what, what, what recommendation would you give? Okay, so I think the my suggestion would be is um, before you decide, I mean, the, the world of data science, AI, machine learning is so big. Um, before you, you decide where in that field you want to go is first to decide which domain do you want to apply this in. So um, I, I heard a, a comment once where someone said, um, you know, you have to define the problem before you choose the tool. Don't let the tool determine the problem. Um, you know, not to go out and just do data science for the sake of data science, but actually figure out, you know, where do you want to apply this? And because that's, in my opinion, um, that's going to spur on your passion for whatever you're doing. Because I think it's important to have understanding of the real world implications of what you're busy with, uh, especially with this world becoming so, um, you know, interconnected. You don't always have the view of the, the greater impact of what you're doing. Yeah, and then I would say in terms of simulation modeling, there's some really good courses um, on simulation modeling. So you could have a look at uh, Simio is the one platform, AnyLogic. Um, there's, there's quite a number of them. That's, that's more on the process level. And um, look at a couple of courses and then identify which, which kind of company you want to work with. And I actually listened to your part, the previous podcast on, um, you know, career career success and I think that advice is brilliant to say um, you know uh, you know luck is when when hard work uh, preparation meets opportunity so then just uh, stick at looking for those opportunities and put in the hard work while you can uh, in preparation for that awesome and I think this will be a cool 
um, time to kind of revisit or maybe or like cement it in because it's an important choice right like you said process system process digital twins versus system digital twins like in a nutshell you already talked a bit about this but in a nutshell like what's the difference and how does one pick which one they want to do yeah so i think uh, on the process uh, side the I've got a, a bit more of interest on the, the business level, how, how things impact on a business level. Um, so that's where, that's where processes are very important. If you are looking at being a lot more, of, let's say, your hardcore engineer and uh, working with materials, I would say look more at your physical digital twins. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, more the scientific. Yep. For sure. Okay, I understand. So processes, business. Uh, results orientation that side of things and systems is like how how is this thing going to be designed or how is this thing working like you're more focused on the asset or the the object itself that's really cool thank you that's that clarifies it a lot awesome fantastic well tienes um what else uh we're we're coming to the end so i wanted to know uh very interesting work you're doing if there's companies out there that want to work with your company and like want to get a consultation or um you know some some maybe digital twin project uh or maybe there's somebody who's like who's very interested in this and wants to uh like uh, get a job in this space how can they find um your company sct or foresight sure so they could um they could uh, do a google of foresight so that's for the letter four and then site s-i-g-h-t um the the, the sub company work for simulation engineering technologies if you google that you'll you'll find our site directly and then please feel free to add me on linkedin um yeah man you could even send me an email address to um, my email is tianas at setec.co.za setec.co.za yes yeah okay gotcha Cool. All right. And um, uh, what's uh, what's uh, one uh, final thing? You know, let's do the book first. What's a book you want to recommend to our listeners? Yeah. So I, I love reading books. I, I try to read at least three or four at a time, uh, slowly. And the one that I'm currently reading at the moment is um, "Deep Work" by Cal Newport. Oh, I'm great actually, book. Oh, uh, you you've read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I like I, I I read most or like more about half of it. Really cool insights. I love it. Totally cool. Yeah, no, brilliant. I'm actually reading the book, listening to the audiobook at the same time. Um, yeah. So just the whole philosophy. I think it's very applicable to data science. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna want to be a good data scientist, you're gonna have to put in uh, solid blocks of time, figure out your routine. So excellent book to read. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and uh, what's your one final piece of advice or like, I don't know, uh, wish for uh, listeners on the podcast in order to help them in their careers? Yeah, so uh, another book, uh, I'm going to take it from this book because it's meant a lot to be the last while. Um, it's, a, it's a book called The Slight Edge. And, and basically, it's, uh, you'll find these principles probably in, in most uh, career books. But it's, it's just the idea of, of taking things uh, little bits at a time over a long period of time to realize that right now, you know, your dream is to be at a certain point three or four years from now. But focus on the year and now. Be, I heard a quote, be where your feet are. And do the little bits, focus on the process, work towards the outcome. And when you look back over year or two, um, you'll be amazed by the results you see. That's cool. That's cool advice. Yeah. Still a lot of time we get caught up trying to like shortcut to what we want. That's not always, (laughs) in most cases it doesn't work. Got to put it. (laughs) Yep. Tienes, it's been a huge pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. And I learned a lot about Digital Twins. Thank you. Thank you to you, girl. Really appreciate it. So there you have it, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did and got some valuable takeaways from it. My favorite part was 
how Tienes explained process digital twins versus system digital twins, and especially what he said at the end about career guidance. Like if you're interested in the object and the asset or, or like the the design, the materials behind something, then you probably would be more interested in system digital twins. Whereas if you're interested in the business results and applications, you might be more interested in the process uh, digital twins. And of course, there were plenty of other interesting takeaways. As always, you can find the show notes at superdatascience.com slash 421. That's superdatascience.com slash 421. Uh, there you will also find the transcript for this episode, any materials that we mentioned on the podcast and links to uh, the company where Tianis works in case you want to uh, talk to them about working together in your organization or maybe you're looking for a job. Tianis said they're always on the lookout for uh, talented and passionate people. And of course, you'll find the URL for Tianis's LinkedIn. Make sure to connect with him too. And uh, yeah, so that's us for today. Uh, if you enjoy this episode and you know somebody who's interested in the space of simulations and digital twins uh, or in general would like to broaden their knowledge of technology and this fourth industrial revolution, uh, feel free or uh, we would really appreciate it if you send them this episode and help spread the word. It's very easy to share. Just send them the link to perdayascience.com slash 421. On that note, uh, we appreciate your time and you being here today. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.